Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are here. All natural, no pesticides, no artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. The Organic Gardener is on KDKA Radio because Doug's still trying to get back from Italy. He'll be back with us next week. Jessica Wallace, you're here ready to man the phone. So I, I would suggest you call right now because she wants to talk to a lot of you folks about all of your gardening needs. Speaking of Doug, he's going to join me Tuesday night at 630 on Rob Pratt Tuesday to talk about is it okay Everyone says May 15th is the perfect time to start planting because it'll survive any frost because they should be gone by then. So we're going to talk to Doug about that. And, of course, he'll be back next week. But Jessica would love to talk to you about everything in the way of gardening today. 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access. KDKRadio.com. Text us on the Red Automotive Line. Best deal in town. And 10th caller right now wins a $25 gift certificate from Sorgles in Wexford at 412-922-1020. Listen, I, I just have to follow up on Kennywood because you were talking about that. And I love Kennywood. Steel curtain, that construction is underway. So do they do they grow potato patch fries? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I've not seen the potato patch fries growing myself at Kennywood. You just made we... me smile today because you mentioned Kennywood before we got on the air. And some of my greatest times in Pittsburgh and broadcasting at Kennywood Park. I love that place. Yeah, we were there yesterday for opening day, uh, and it was it was a beautiful day. I mean, we had a little bit of spritzels in the afternoons. Spritzels? Is that a word? <laughs> it will be today. Sprinkles in the afternoon. There you go. Uh, it, that's part spritz and part sprinkles, so it's a spritzel <laughs> of made, rain. You made a new word. There you go. Uh, and it was a beautiful day. I mean, they, and, and you're right, which uh, when you bring up the fact that it's still too early to plant yeah. annuals uh, because you can see at Kennywood, you know, normally those beds that they have that are all lush with oh, gorgeous coleus and begonias and uh, flowers were, were yet to be planted. So we didn't have our traditional colorful Kennywood in terms of the plant material there, but they certainly have some gorgeous flowering shrubs. I was admiring the viburnums outside of the ladies' rooms. The kids were on the, uh, the kangaroo ride, which is a perennial favorite there. So, um, you know, they do have some gorgeous plant material there, but the annuals weren't in yet. And it is too early. May 15th is really typically our last frost date here in Pittsburgh. And so that's when we want to wait to, to plant our annuals. And even then you still want to watch the forecast because we have had years where we've had frosts, you know, a week after May 15th. And if you plant your annuals and your tomatoes and your uh, cold uh, susceptible, frost susceptible vegetables too early, you risk losing them to frost. So hold off. So the other night I'm sitting at home late and I answered a text Patty, Janoski and Mike because the American farmer was on, I think the history channel and I tell you, it had, and I don't really sit for anything, but I, I watched the entire program. I, you know, because of you and Doug, obviously, and the Janoskis, I've always had respect for farmers of all kinds. I mean, chicken farmers, dairy farmers, love them all. But man, I tell you, if you're a farmer, true blue farmer, and that's what you do every day, let me just salute all of these folks right now and how they really roll the dice around Mother Nature and their crop and how everything's affected and the whole family's out there working around the clock. 
it, it's a satisfying way, but boy, it's still a tough way to make a living. It is. I think there's very few, if any, jobs out there, if you call it a job or, or livelihood, where um, you are that prone to the risks and whims of nature. You know, your success or failure is so much dependent on the whims of nature. And um, and that does deserve a great amount of respect, but it's also, you know, it's also a passion job, right? Oh, yeah, People yeah, that do yeah. it, abs- you can't do a job like that and not absolutely love it. And the thing is too, like it's so much work and so much effort for so little return in a lot of ways. Um, we take for granted that we can walk into the grocery store and, you know, buy a loaf of bread or buy a bag of lettuce, or we just sort of take advantage of the fact that it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and But for these folks, like it's it's their livelihood and they go unrecognized. I and, mean, we may go know. out and buy a John Deere tractor for a couple of grand for the house, but these people are buying combines and tractors that are worth six figures. And I mean, they, they have to do it all. They've got to drive them, they got to fix them, they got to keep them out there. And it's just, if you get a chance, check check it out. Because if you already have respect, as I do, for the American farmer, you'll even have more and you want to go out and you want to support them. And I guess that's a good way before we go to our first break and take our phone calls. By the way, anything in the way of gardening, she'd love to talk to you right now. All of our lines are open. But... Um, it's it's a good idea to support your local farmer. It always is, and you know, when there's a difference, obviously, between big ag where they're growing acres and acres of wheat right. and oh, corn yeah. versus our small farmers, in particular, our local small farmers. You know, Pittsburgh is so blessed; we have dozens, if not hundreds, of regional farmers markets all throughout Western Pennsylvania. I mean, almost every neighborhood, almost every community has a farmers market, and these are the folks that you want to go out and you want to support. You know, ideally, we should be spending. I, you know, I would love to see everybody spend during the growing season half of their food budget on local, you know, local sources, local food. You know, if you can't do that, and if you're only, you know, doing one, two, three percent, it's still putting money into the the hands of those local farmers who work so hard. So find out when your local farmer mar- farmers market is. Go buy what you can from these folks. Um, you will find that their prices are no different than the prices of a grocery store and you are investing in your community, keeping your money local um, and and supporting these folks that work so hard. Well, and I also know that Coons Market supports a lot of the local farmers and that's, it's just, a, it's, it's good business and it makes sense and you get a chance to buy fresh, buy local and I absolutely love it. And you know, the thing Sonny Janoski told me years ago, Jessica, was that chickens, the pigs, the cows, everything on that farm has a purpose. You know, they all Mm -hmm. are part of the whole business matrix of a farm. And if you think about it, and I'm sitting there doing the math the other night. If it's done right, if it's done right. Right, right, right. We're not talking about factory farms. There's a big difference between the factory farm and like a local guy that has all of those animals living together. And so all those animals are for the family and for the business. I mean, it's, uh, boy, you got to know your stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just found it interesting. It's quite an art. Is it, farming it is. is quite an art. It is, and, and it is a passion. So let me ask you, did you, as a young person, have a passion for beautiful flowers and notice a good azalea when you saw a good azalea? I mean, <laughs> is that how it started with you? Well, I mean, it might, I li- grew up in a really small rural Pennsylvania community. I mean, you know, it was very, very, we had one stoplight, you know, it was a very small community. And <laughs> we had one, stoplight. yeah, we had one uh, little garden center and flower shop there. And my mom used to take me there to buy our, you know, marigolds and geraniums Aww. every spring. And I used to walk in there and I remember from the time I was very little, I would tell her someday I'm going to work here. Like I just loved to be in that space. And when I turned 15, 
I went to the school office and got my like working papers because to work before you were 16, you had to get working papers. So I got my working papers and it turned out that the wife, the, the family that owned the garden center, the wife was my homeroom teacher in high school. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And Mrs. Schneider. And so I went, went in and they were like, oh, you're a student. And oh, my wife teaches there and blah, blah, blah. And, and I got a job and I started working in the flower shop first. Um, and then from there I went into the greenhouse and I really knew from the time I was 15 years old that it's, I just wanted to be around plants. That's a good thing. All right, listen, phones are filling up. We'd love to hear from you. Get on the line, 866-391-1020. And congratulations to uh, Judy from Pittsburgh, winner of that gift certificate from Sorgles. Jessica, in today, Doug is off, coming back to take all of your phone calls on the Organic, Organic Gardeners on KDK Radio. Stay with us. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, you want to talk to Jessica about all of your gardening needs? Call us now, 866-391-1020, dollar bank, instant access, kdkradio.com. Let's go out to Armstrong and say good morning to Harry. Hi, Harry. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, I just want to ask, my oregano seems to have survived the winter and it's coming up green. When should I start harvesting it or should I give it a while? I am so glad you asked this because actually I have a little list here in front of me of things that are good to talk about today if we don't get callers. I always like to be prepared. And harvesting oregano and other perennial herbs is actually on my list. This is the perfect time to harvest things like your oregano, thyme, chives, sage, Any perennial herb that survived the winter is full of gorgeous, lush, green new growth right now. And this is the perfect time to harvest. So um, what I like to go out and do with my oregano is I will go out and I actually take a bunch of rubber bands and I put them around my wrist and I'll go out and I'll cut a handful of oregano and then wrap their bases uh, around the base of the stem with a rubber band. And then I use an unfolded paper clip to make like a little S hook. And clip that into one end of the um, the rubber band, and then I hang it up on a little string that I string across my kitchen window, and then I let the herbs dry that way, and then obviously crush them up and put them in my spice jars. Sounds great. When's a good time to start putting the basil out? So basil is extremely sensitive to frosts. So we really want to wait until after May 15th to put basil plants out. They also really like warm soil. So even if we have warm temperatures before then, I would still wait to put them out because they do not, our soil is still really, really cold and their roots do not like cold soil. So once we hit that May 15th, we're, we're off and running with all those annual herbs. Great, thanks. You're welcome. What about vegetable plants, your garden? What, May 15th, what, so what really is pretty much a safe bet that you can go? Yeah, well, so all of our cold, what we call our cold season or cold tolerant crops cold have crops. been out in the garden for a couple of weeks already, okay. ideally, ideally. So that's things like members of the cabbage family, which would be cabbage, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, kale. Um, those plants can tolerate frosts really easily. Now, I'm not talking about minus 20 degrees, but the kinds of frosts we have this time of year, they can tolerate. Lettuce can be out in the garden now. You can seed your carrots. They all they all like cooler soil temperatures and cooler air temperatures. It's really the warm season, heat-loving crops that we want to wait to plant until after May 15th. So this would be things like tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, beans, um, basil, squash, all of those eggplants, right? Those plants are are heat-loving, tropical. They're from tropical climates. 
that's the kind of weather that they like. So those guys you want to wait. And you know, it, it drives me a little nuts because when I was uh, younger and I was in the nursery trade, the nurseries didn't carry any of those, you know, you couldn't even buy a tomato plant until the middle of May. They just really weren't, they weren't out on the shelves because they knew, you know, our, our nurserymen knew that it was too early for their customers to be planting those kinds of That's plants. That's smart for everybody. Right. Well, now you can go to the big box store and those people have tomatoes on their racks. No mention of, hey, you better not plant this. No mention of wait until after May 15th to plant this plant. No mention at all of that in most cases that I've ever seen. So there they are. They're selling them to people and you're they're put, people are putting them in their garden in, in April and then they're, you know, sending me an email like, why did my tomato plant die? Or why does it have these white splotches on the leaves, which is like a sign of cold damage. So what, and then what happens then is then the local nurseries feel like, oh my gosh, well, if I don't have mine out, all these- are going to be bought. Right. They're going to buy them all at the big box store because they have them available. So, you know, and I'm, I'm a member of a bunch of different Facebook groups that are um, independent garden centers and- the people who work there and they're private groups, right? But they, this is sort of like a universal problem for these folks because they want to, they want their share of the customers. They deserve their share of the customers, but the big box stores have their plants out so early. At least when you go to a local nursery, if you're going to get a tomato in the middle of April, they're going to tell you, Hey, you know, as you're checking out, it's too early to put this out in the garden, keep it, you know, on your patio and bring it in at night because the temperatures are still too cold. So you're going to get that good growing advice from an independent garden center. Whereas the big box store, you're not going to get that kind of advice. And it's not going to come with the warning. Those plants are probably coming from the Carolinas in many cases where they're grown. And in the Carolinas, yeah, they have their tomatoes in the ground already. Here, we don't. Different climate. But there is a chance they'll survive. But just when you think they'll survive, you get hit with a frost. Well, that or, I mean, they just don't do well. And what happens is when you put them into cold soil, even if we don't get a frost, the soil is cold. They're just going to sit there, number one. Number two, even if we don't get a frost, they still could have some damage um, just from cold temperatures to their foliage and to their growing point. And it can take them longer to recover from that than it can for just waiting a couple extra weeks to plant your tomato plant. So May 15th. Yeah. I mean, obviously you want to watch the weather. If they're calling for a frost on May 18th, yeah, hold off on planting, right? We I remember a couple of years ago, we had a frost on May 25th, which is really, really, really late for Western Pennsylvania. And that's why some people will even wait until after Memorial Day to plant their plants. Now, as you go north into New England and that, does that pretty much change or this is the... Yeah. Oh yeah. They, I mean, they have frosts even later. So the, up there, they won't do their planting until the end of May or even into early June. So... Each different growing zone has different planting times. They have different frost dates. So it's really worth paying attention to um, and learning the difference between cool season crops that can handle colder temperatures and frosts and warm season crops. And it's a tough thing for new vegetable gardeners. I mean, it, it's, and even homeowners, when you go out to plant your annual flowers, you know, it's hard because you see them out there and you think, ooh, I'm going to buy this beautiful hanging basket and it looks gorgeous and lush and I'm going to get it. And it's, and it, it's a fun feeling to get that, but it's setting yourself up for disappointment because those plants don't do well in really Well, and, and I've got to go to a break, but tulips don't help by popping out and making you get itchy to go out and do something. Well, the, but those those tulips and daffodils, they are early bulbs. Right. So like they are naturally 
genetically programmed to do their thing early in the season. So if you want early color, those are the those are the things to plant, right? To give you that early color. All right, 866-391-1020. We've got lines open. Anything on your mind in the way of spring planting and gardening, you name it, we can handle it. Jessica's here. Doug is off. Back with us next week. All right, again, that number, 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdkaradio.com. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. Well, one of our favorites just moments away, but let's just say, hey, if you're the 10th caller, you're going to win a gift certificate from one of our favorites, Janoski's in Clinton. So make it the 10th caller at 412-922-1020 to win a $25 gift certificate from Janoski's Farm in Clinton, Pennsylvania. And now it's time for Talking Trees, a service of the Davy Tree Expert Company. And joining us today is arborist Rob Krueljack from the Davy Tree Expert Company. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we are great. So we want to talk to you today about curb appeal and what makes a good street tree, what makes a good yard tree, all of those traits that we need to be looking for. So let, uh, where do you think we should start with this topic? Well, with street trees, because I think we have the most trouble with those. Uh, a lot of times we don't plan ahead. Um, and put the right tree in the right place, which is what we should be thinking when we plant any tree. Um, trees along the street, you know, if, if you have wires in front of your house, like you have the overhead utilities, you, know, you want to keep those trees short. Like buy a, a species that doesn't get more than 20 feet tall, you know, crab apples, um, uh, service trees, things that don't get up into the line so the power company doesn't have to trim them. No one likes how those trees look after the power company comes by, so don't plant a tree that gets that tall. Okay, so we're, and also for me, those types of trees, not only in the height, but also if we're talking about an urban area, we really only have, we, we like to call it the hell strip, but it's that little strip of soil <laughs> right. between the sidewalk and the street, right? So if you're in the city, yep. you're not just talking about what's overhead in terms of line, but also how big the root system can really get, right? Right, so something that's like, you know, more drought tolerant and hardy to a small planting area. And also salt tolerant, because a lot of times next to the roadways, you're getting the, the road salt in the wintertime and on the sidewalks. You want a tree that's uh, able to withstand that type of torture as well. Yeah, and certainly, you know, the roots lifting up the, the sidewalk, because it costs a lot of money to replace your sidewalk. So that's another consideration. Right. Absolutely. We run into that all the time. Big, big shade trees, uh, you know, get large, and you know, they definitely cause damage to the sidewalk. And doesn't usually make the homeowners very happy there and to replace their sidewalks so often. Is there something that we need to worry about as well with trees? Like, are there some that are more tolerant of pollution from exhaust and things like that? Or is it just that they all just filter out exhaust and that's really not something we need to worry about? No, it definitely. Some trees are definitely more well adapted to the urban environment and the, the poor air quality that can occur in those areas. So we need to, something to look into. Okay. So you mentioned serviceberry and you mentioned crab apples earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Are there other ones that you can think of off the top of your head that really do make a good urban street tree like that? Um, a, a commie cherry is a good one. We, we like to plant down the city. Um, let's see, Serbian spruce is a, a, a little bit of a different one. That's not necessarily in the health strip, but definitely in that type of um, you know, city environment. Okay. We do well with those. And what about and like, a, like a flowering almond? Would that be all right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would work. All right, yeah. good, good. So there's there's good Not op- something we usually see here, but that that's a, a good option. Okay. All right. So there's lots of there's lots of good choices and I know there's lots mm-hmm. of resources out there and you guys on the Davy Tree website also have resources of different 
um, lists of urban trees and things like that as well up on your website. So if listeners are looking for a tree for a site like that, the Davy.com website is a great place to go for those types of resources for sure. So we've talked about urban trees, right? And mm-hmm. all of that. So what else curb appeal? So for me, curb appeal is I want something that has ideally, I like trees with four season interest, right? Because they improve the value of your landscape. Right. So mm-hmm. that's what? Flowering? Fall color. Oh, good um, one. Okay. Branch, yep. Branch structure. Um, just, you know, if you want something screening, just a really dense branch structure. Um, the bark, you know, some exfoliating barks like, you know, sycamore or stewardia, um, things like that nature. So, yeah, something that you can, you find interest in all, all year long. And obviously, as always, we want to think about things like pest and disease resistance, too. So you were talking about flowering crab apples earlier, but I know that those crabs are also prone to things like scabs and foliar diseases, right? So how do we... Fire blights and apple scab and such, yes. Yeah. How do we find a variety that's resistant to those things? I mean, that should be a key, right? It should, but it's also, you know, again, in the area that you're in, if there's no other really trees with the, the problems nearby, you know, you, you shouldn't have to do much to keep yours safe. And if you do start to develop problems, you know, there are treatments that can be done to, you know, to keep them, the, the, fungus, the funguses from forming on the leaves and causing us problems. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So what, uh, anything else you can think of that when we talk about curb appeal, how about evergreens? Like, mulching. So, oh, mulching. mulching. Yeah. like... It's mulch season, and, you know, everybody wants to do their mulching, put the mulch down. Take it easy on the mulch. You know, we only need a couple inches to keep the roots of those trees happy. We don't need to see, you know, six, eight inches, and especially don't pile it up around the trunk of the tree. Um, you'll, you'll stunt the growth of it. You'll suffocate the root system, and uh, it could lead to a condition called girdling root down the road. So easy on the mulch this time of year. And that actually, I get this question a lot, and I'm going to ask it, to, to you, because obviously you're the, the expert being a, a certified arborist, but when people are putting new mulch on their trees every year, should mm-hmm. they rake off the old mulch or should they just put it put new on top? Either rake it off or sometimes you'd be surprised by just turning the old mulch over. It, 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 it looks, still looks quite nice underneath. Like the top layer sometimes dries out or, you know, decomposes. But even turning it over, you, you almost just have to like touch it up with some fresh mulch on top. Ah, so you might, so if you already have two inches of older mulch on there, you just stir mm-hmm. it up a little bit and top dress with a tiny little bit of new on top. Yeah. You don't you need to, to put, okay, all right, so you don't mm-hmm. need to put m- more on every single year. So that's good. So one more curb appeal thing, which I know is something a lot of people look for, and that is evergreen. So something that's beautiful year round. If you don't really need the height, I've been pushing more of, you know, evergreen shrubs. I really like some of the viburnums that are evergreen um, because they don't, you know, they don't lose the leaves in the winter and they have some flower appeal in the spring and uh, they can provide that low screening without having to be another needle leaf tree. I just think, you know, as soon as somebody thinks evergreen, all they think about is a pine tree, a spruce, a Norway, you know, a spruce, a white pine, those sorts of things. But there are other options out there for low evergreen screening if that's the the thing if that's what you're looking for yeah and even like something as simple as a rhododendron right or azaleas or boxwoods i mean they're green they have great curb appeal all year round Mm -hmm. they help block your foundation and screen out road noise and all that stuff so so many great choices out there for sure and 
tolerate pruning and, and shearing if you're looking for a, a hedge type, you know, application there. Yeah, and so, I, I do keep hearing, though, with the boxwoods about boxwood blight. Um, that, is a, that is a coming problem. And what are, what are some signs of that? Browning out in, in patches and quickly. You know, it spreads very quickly. Um, and you can spread it even with just contact between, you know, your, your, your tools or your clothing. Um, pets, can, pets can move it along a hedgerow. Um, so it's something that if, you, if suddenly your box starts browning out, give us a call and we'll come out and see if we can diagnose it and, and help you with that problem. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I hope that I won't be calling you guys because I, for the first time, we have boxwoods under our front window. And for the first time this spring, I had two whole entire branches turn brown and die. They look okay for now, but it's one thing I'm really worried about because it would change our whole landscape. So listen, for more information about Davy Tree and to ask what's going on with your trees, go to davy.com slash kdka. And don't forget, you can always call the experts at Davy Tree at 855-982-TREE. That's 855-982-8733. Thanks as always, Rob, for joining us. So much great information. Anytime. All right, coming back, we've got more calls for Jessica and still to come after we check the news again with Shelby Gassessi at 8. It's the Coons Cooking Hour, grilling tips and tricks with Joe and Frank Dentisi. And then it is Kurt Carlson in for Jim Meredith today on Heifer Until It's In Your Money and You. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, Dollar Bank Instant Access and right to the phones. And we also have some more Good stuff coming up for 8 o'clock. So this Dollar Bank Instant Access, it's from um, Lisa, who says, Jessica, could you recommend favorite sun-loving perennials for my landscape bed? Nothing that gets too big or is too busy. Thanks. All right. Are you ready? I hope you have your pencil handy because I'm going to list them for you. All right. Here we go. Coreopsis, Shasta daisies, coneflowers, daylilies, sedums, blanket flower, salvias, yarrow, Agastache, Nepeta, shall I go on forever and ever? There's so many amazing choices. And many of those, by the way, are deer resistant, which is also an added bonus. All right, here is uh, Ken in Zillianople for Jessica Wallace. Hey, Ken. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, I have a question. Uh, I put 10 forsythia plants in a year ago, and they done okay last year, and they budded fine this, this spring, and were doing good, but now three of them don't look very good. And... I don't know whether I didn't water them enough in the early spring or it's too much, you know, with the rain. I wondered your opinion. And will they come back? Yeah. So what it, What defined they don't look so good? What does that mean? They never leafed out or? They, they yeah, they, they leafed and they budded somewhat, but then the leaves seemed to curl up. Now, on three, seven of them are doing good. Three of them have this issue and the leaves kind of stay tiny, and some of the limbs actually look like they're dead. Okay, so... Probably uh, half of the limbs look okay, dead. Okay, so those three that are doing poorly, are they right next to each other, or are they kind of interspersed in that whole line? Yeah, they're... they're Two of them are next to each other, then the ones a couple plants down. Okay. They're okay. probably about six or eight feet apart, each one. Okay. Because I wanted to make like a hedgerow sure. kind of. Sure. So my guess, because these are pretty new plants, right, is that you probably had something just 
transplant shock with those particular three. So they just are having a harder time adjusting to their new home in your landscape. I would not give up on them. I would just continue to nurture them throughout this growing season, water them in in times of drought and and hope for the best. I think they'll be fine. And now it's time for Mrs. Know-It-All. She is our Denise Schreiber and a fellow horticulturist, writer, and our garden goddess. Good morning, Denise. How are you? Good. Someday it'll quit raining. I'm not sure when, but I might want to get a boat. <laughs> I, I agree with you, but it is good for the garden. Yeah, but, you know, the heavy downpours are what really hurt me. You know, yeah. they wash away, you know, my soil into my neighbor's yard because you've been to my place, so you know how my land slopes. Right, so, right, yeah, right. I, I could do it. Not only that, I want to get out and plant. So, right. But um, since Davey was on and we're talking about trees, you know, a lot of people, you know, they hate the uh, pine needles as they, you know, drop and they're all over their landscape and they've got to clean them up and they bag them, you know. Uh, Actually, I save mine. I have a big pine in the back and I rake it out of my beds. You know, I have an evergreen ground cover and it's all over that. So I rake it out of there and everything. And I actually use it as a mulch on um, my plants because people think because they're pine trees, they're acid and they're going to change the pH. Actually, that's not true. The, uh, they're slightly acid. They only um, are acid for a little while. Once they're dry, they're pretty much a neutral pH and, you know, they make a lovely ground cover. You know, down in the south, they the pine straw and really pine needles are actually what they use as mulch rather than hardwood uh, chips. Yeah, and it's true. It's it's a wonderful mulch. I love to use it around my shrubs and in my shrub beds. If you have a white pine, they drop those needles, rake them up, reuse them, recycle them in the landscape. Excellent. So remember, it's the end of the show already. I can't believe it. This hour went so fast. The Organic Gardeners always aim to teach you how to create a better place to garden and a safer place to live. Have a good week. Thanks. You too. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.